the incomparable. Number 406, May 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we are going to be talking about a TV show that relatively recently concluded uh, its latest season, the third season of The Magicians, which is on the Sci-Fi Channel in the United States. And, boy, this is a show... Uh, I'm going to spoil something here, which is this is a show that keeps getting better. I thought that this was one of the big, uh, great surprises of television so far this year is how good the third season was, which was better than the second season, which was already pretty good. Um, and the first season was fine and got better as it went. So it's like this is a rare example of a show that... Um, it keeps discovering new heights as it goes. It's such a treat. And if you haven't watched it, uh, you should. Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit without spoilers just to get you in the mood. But you should go watch Season 3 of The Magicians and the first two if you haven't watched them yet. Joining me to talk about The Magicians, what a fantastic, strange show this was. Glenn Fleischman is here, of course, to talk about The Magicians. Glenn would be here. Hi, Glenn. Hello. And Jason, is your card the Queen of Hearts? <laughs> no, my card. Oh, it's not that kind of magician, My card so. can't be seen. Uh, gl- <laughs> thank you, Glenn. James Thompson is also here. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm so happy you're dating a bear. <laughs> That's the line of the whole season. Oh man, uh, yeah. so good. And uh, Micah Sargent is also here. Hello. Hello, abracadabra. Yeah. And this is where you magically see a prepared <laughs> response appear. Yeah. Ta-da. <laughs> oh, that was really good. That's I saw great. it. It's bad for podcasting, but it was a very good response. It was a little flicker, but I know it's going to get bigger over jokes. time. <laughs> In quotes. <laughs> Left and right. Jokes. Ding, ding, ding. These are the ha, jokes, ha, folks. Ha. Okay, so before uh, before we dive in um, to the details, because I, I think sometimes we talk about seasons and we end up talking about kind of the overall season arc. And what's funny about this season is there is an overall season arc, but there are also these specific episodes that are like this is the episode where this thing happened and this is the episode where they did this like i felt like unlike many shows in this binge watching universe that we live in now the magicians tried really hard to have special episodes and like most episodes were special in some way um to make them stand out from the other episodes which i think was was uh was pretty unusual so um, so we will talk about the season as a whole and the individual episodes, uh, but Sturge was just overall, overall responses to this season and, uh, what you came in with and sort of how you left feeling. Glenn, do you want to get us started? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I thought this was a strong season to start with. And then I thought, you know, I thought this is great. Like season one was a little, you know, we did a season two recap. Like season one was, was fine. It got me involved enough. <coughs> Excuse me. It got me involved enough that I, uh, was eager for season two because it looked like it was on track. And season two, I thought was really solid in a lot of ways, much more consistent. Season three started and I thought, oh, this is good. They're picking it up. The actors are more mature in the roles. They kind of figured out a bunch of stuff. This is terrific. And then somewhere about, I think it was episode five, I went, holy mother of God, they have upped their game. How will they beat this? And then, through the rest of the season, with an exception we'll talk about during this, is, uh, it, I found, I thought they did amazing episode after amazing episode, and some were a little bit, like, not quite as over the top as I think it was episode five, but, uh, they tried some really challenging things. They pulled it off. Um, the actors, I, I gotta say that I think not only did the writing 
settle down and improve and become much more consistent, but that, uh, they let the actors inhabit the roles more. And, um, I mean, I know that's happens every series and it's not like these are a particularly, you know, young group of actors. They reset break bills to be a graduate school, which was smart. So these people can be older instead of being an undergraduate <laughs> school and then looking kind of long in the tooth, uh, as the series went on. Um, but I do think that the, the actors managed some more nuance that really, I think must have informed the writing because it all meshed together in a really perfect way. And they've moved so far in season three, um, beyond the book series. There's still elements that keep coming up, but it's charted now a fully independent course that is, that is kind of drifting off disconnected from the book series. So you know less and less what's going on. You're not in a George R.R. Martin universe where you're kind of waiting for things to happen in the same way. So I, I, my overall take is, is holy cow, do they do incredible things? And there's some episodes I've watched, I think three or four times just to see those incredible things again. Yeah, absolutely. James, what about you? Yeah, I, I hadn't read any of the books going into Magicians as a series, and I'd heard that the characters were fairly unlikable in the books, at least at the beginning. And when I started watching, like, season one, really didn't like the characters, um, especially Quentin and Alice. And they grew on me slightly more in season two, although I had a number of problems with season two as well. And I think it was right towards the end of season two um, when there was a, a dragon called them effing millennials. And <laughs> that, that was the sort of the turning point where I thought, right, I think they are starting to get what is good about this show. And... Uh, I'm, I was fully on board with season three and they seem to have leaned even more into the silliness and, and just the sort of, there was a lot of really solid episodes and I, I started writing down like high points and my list of high points was just basically one per episode. There was at least kind of something that came out and I was like, Oh yeah, I completely forgot about that bit where they did so and so, so and so. And, uh, yeah, I think it's been what it was. I would say it's the strongest season of TV I've seen, uh, in the last year. I kind of came out of nowhere because mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the ending of the season. Uh, later, but for all the build up to get there, I, th- I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Micah, what about you? Well, I thought that was very well put. Um, I, it's hard for me to not be interested in anything that involves magic. I love playing magic characters and games, and I love reading books about magic and watching shows about magic. And so even in season one, when it was a little more challenging, I was hooked regardless. But season three, I think it, it, took a show that I already liked and, again, added so many more strengths to it. And as you said, Jason, sort of made every episode a new treat because you can end up sort of getting uh, caught in the situation where you can kind of expect what's going to happen next if it if it does become become this sort of let's continue to tell the story uh, over the course of episodes kind of arc. But here we, I mean, of course, there's the underlying plot that exists, but we get so much more uh, fun and interesting things that happen in each episode. And 
I, I love uh, I agree that the, the characters, I think the, the actors have um, certainly gotten better over time. And my dislikes for certain characters has only been strengthened because of the way that, you know, they're sort of they're, they're growing into themselves in a way that's like, OK, I am that character that 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 fits this this particular thing. And I'm OK with that. And, uh, you know, there were some characters that I maybe didn't like at first that I started to like now. And it's just been very good and sort of i am happy that the show has not taken away uh my enjoyment of it you know sometimes as seasons go on you can start to okay maybe this isn't for me or i don't like it as much um but i've put my trust in the show and it has not let me down and continues to be great Margot and elliot are an interesting when when we meet them they are kind of like the older students and they are committed party people and they're kind of shallow and uh, um often although they're funny they're kind of unpleasant to be around and i think one mm-hmm. of the things that this show did is not only i think is it the actors i think it's the writers seeing the actors per- performances and deciding to kind of plumb the depths of those characters because yeah. like by season three the things that Margot and elliot do like elliot as a character with incredible depth that you you understand his flaws but also you you feel for him it is i mean it's quite <laughs> a magic trick oh i said it for that for <laughs> that progression it's amazing because it's like they take the raw material from the books in season one and there are these shallow characters and the writers are like no these characters are deeper than that and they and and those are the, those are the two that really have grown in my esteem the most i think i'd say those are my favorite characters in the show now <laughs> really yeah oh, they, that's interesting on. i love them i i and i did not at first so those are the two that uh that definitely grew on me in terms of of you know ones that i didn't like as much i think alice has only reaffirmed my my distaste <laughs> um which is good like that that's it's a very powerful thing because there may have been a time where it's like okay i kind of like no, no no alice you've you've gone all in and i appreciate that and then the other person i mean quentin i don't know he just sort of floats there he's like gray in my mind i he's i could see through him practically I think Quentin towards like there's a, there's a scene right at the end of the series where mm-hmm. he has a a heart to heart with um Julia and I was like oh I'm actually liking him you know he's like kind of accepting of things and smiling and you know happy for her and stuff and I'm like wow I just reread the books and I'd forgotten because I, and this is like my little side note, but I, and I wrote a, I wrote a long medium essay. How do you write a long medium essay? Mm. I wrote a long, long, I need to do it at long.com about reevaluating the magicians. No. Okay. <laughs> let's not search on that, folks. Uh, and I, uh, but cause I, and I read the magicians. I've talked about this on too many podcasts. So I'll be very brief is, and I read the magicians for the incomparable years ago. I really hated it because Quentin was supposed to be the antihero and he was so distasteful in every way. And the book ends and you're like, God, that's the, that's the outcome. Oh, bleh. but I think Lev Grossman had a really good three book arc in him. And I misjudged that book by thinking it was a self-standing thing and sequels would be, you know, kind of their own things. And then, uh, so I've now read, you know, I read the third book second. Don't ask me why. And <laughs> after I just reread books one and two after a long period, I just had reread three recently and. It's very interesting to me to see the aspects of Quentin maturing in the books, which are the key thing. It's like he becomes less important by book three. Part of Quentin's journey is not having to be the center of the story. 
And that's part of the book mm. journey. And the, the women and other people who are sort of discarded along the way come to the fore. And we're starting to see that in this series as well. The series has done a better job centering, uh, centering women, I think, than the book did because of the structure of how it's evolving. But actually Quentin stepping up and being mature, um, and making decisions that aren't the, oh, I don't know, and blah, you know, and just dithering and whatever. Um, that is part of the arc of season three. And I love actually being satisfied with him. <laughs> <laughs> not mad at him as a character. Yeah, he he grows up, you know, he grows up a lot and and doesn't start out as somebody who he you know, who who you you're expecting him to be the series protagonist. You're expecting him to be Harry Potter basically. Yeah, that's and he's, it. Yeah. He's not. He's totally not. He is an immature jerk and it takes a long <laughs> time for him not to not for first as an audience or as a writer perhaps in the case of Lev Grossman not center him and say this is all about Quentin because it's not all about Quentin, but to have the character also realize it's not all about him and grow up and be a better person. And that, that is something that happens gradually. There's a great line. There's the bit where, Ju- uh, 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 Julia Chatwin, that's the name, right? Julia. Um, she, not Julia Chatwin. There's all the Julias in this. Sorry. It's, uh, uh, Jane Chatwin rather. And not, I don't think this is a spoiler to mention that she's, uh, in the series because we kind of know her uh, time identity. Right. But she says to Margo, you know, do you sometimes feel like a subsidiary? I mean, more or less, you sometimes feel like a subsidiary character. Um, but we're, you know, and she didn't exactly say we're all the heroes of her own story, but it was a great precursor because I wondered why Margo, I felt Margo had been very much pushed to the side and that changes over the series too, which is great. Yep. I really think they did an amazing job, but I like that meta bit of Jane of the actress does wonderful. Like, you know, maybe sometimes it feels like you're not and they're like, Oh yeah, that's a great little nod and wink to what's coming, but also to the nature of how these sprawling books with lots of characters were actually interesting to follow. Mm -hmm. So I think that for me, um, Quentin's sort of snap out of his uh, ongoing melancholy and decision to uh, finally, you know, take on challenges and be happy for other people and do the things that he needs to do. It came too late for me. And so oh. even after all of his magical happiness came forth and he, you know, decided to, to take up arms and do what he needed to do. I, I just like, again, he, he was, he was already, he was already 49 shades of gray. And so he <laughs> only because like it only added maybe a couple, he only became more, uh, a tiny bit more interesting to me, but he's still so far out there in comparison to all of the other incredible characters. And so it's like, meh, okay, that's, that's great, Quentin, but can we talk about everybody else now, please? <laughs> or can we see everybody else now, please? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, He's, I, I think that character, you know, that character has to do some heavy lifting and not, he's not the colorful, interesting character. He is the, he, he, I mean, it's funny. He does, does represent the traditional center of the story who pushes right. the plot forward. And is he, I mean, he, yeah, he's the least colorful character of all of them, I think, because of that. And so, you know, he's present. And, the, and yet the show succeeds because, um, the show does have s- such a great, a group of characters around uh, around Quentin, including Penny, who is one of my favorites and who had some amazing storylines this year. Um, 
uh, yeah. rare, rare. I mean, again, slight spoiler, but not like because it's magic. Like it's rare that you can kill off characters and have them die, and then they're still on the show. But uh, magic, <laughs> folks, magic, Ma- magic, 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 magic. I want to bring up a key moment for last season briefly about Quentin because I think it eliminates the character, and it actually appears at the end of the first book. And I'd forgotten that's how the book ends. Is in the series, um, Quentin. Uh, uh, shoots the white lady as one of the mythical creatures of, of, uh, Fillory who can grant you wishes or send you on quests and so forth. And he's with Penny this time and he shoots her and she's like, you know, that hurts. <laughs> it's a great little moment. She says, what do you want? And he's like, well, you know, can you bring Alice back to life? She's like, nope, that's beyond my purview. It's like, can you make me forget? It's like, yep, but you'll eventually remember. He's like, well, you know, you have everything you want. You have magic. You had the girl. I, you know, I lost everything. Just send me home. And I thought that was this profound moment when he gave up Fillory in the show. And I thought that that to me was a turning point for the character um, that he just didn't stay there and kind of mope about, you know, I got this magic land and there's magic. He's like, there's nothing left for me here. Everything's gone and turned to ashes. And uh, I think that informs this season Hmm. a lot, that moment of giving up because he has to come back again and again and again. I like that. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Skillshare, a new sponsor. Skillshare is an online learning community. They have more than 20,000 classes in technology, design, business, and a whole lot more. A Skillshare premium membership gives you unlimited access to high-quality classes. It leaves you free to master any topic that you must know. Improve your skills, unlock new opportunities, and help do the work that you love. You can take courses on things like web development, learn all the basics, explore all your options for long-term web development. How about productivity? They've got a course called Productivity Today that will show you how to manage your attention in this, our busy digital age, these times of confusion, and make more of your time. There's even a going freelance course for anyone who's interested in the free agent lifestyle with tips and advice. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for listeners of The Incomparable. You can get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Yep, that's right, 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash incomparable. That's Skillshare.com com slash incomparable you'll get two months of unlimited access to more than twenty thousand classes for 99 cents head there now and start learning today thank you to skillshare for supporting the incomparable all right we're gonna fire off the spoiler horn now uh we highly recommend i think i agree with james i mean on a best season uh, i i really liked the first season of counterpart which we also did an episode about but, oh yeah okay okay but it yeah, is okay. one of it is certainly one of the best <laughs> and and i would say it's the best like subsequent season of a show where you know and and certainly the difference in quality and again season two of magicians isn't bad but season three just like as a cohesive whole as a as a quantum leap in terms of storytelling from what's come before just so good so people back hill is in this it's oh boy uh here here there's a hologram no none of that happens (laughs) so we're gonna fire off the spoiler horn now and then we're gonna talk about what happens this season so if you are still curious and don't want to be totally spoiled about all the episodes you may come back later that's your assignment go watch season three of the magician and if you don't believe us get through episode five at least before you go well i don't see why this is such mm. a no all right 
let's uh, let's talk about it. so the the run of episodes. I think Glenn, you you mentioned season, uh, episode five. I think the run of spectacular episodes in the season starts with uh, with episode four, which is Be the Penny, and that's the one where Penny is dead. Oh yeah, which is yeah. an amazing end yeah. to episode three, right? Where uh, Penny dies. He's been dying for a while of like magical cancer, basically, and he dies while he's astral projecting. And so the last shot in episode three is that he dies and people are sad and then we cut to penny whose astral form is in the room and he he's like "Uh oh (laughs) and then we get episode four where we follow penny as he travels from place to place it is um uh todd vanderwerf at uh vox wrote a piece about this and said that it was kind of like the zeppo episode of buffy where (laughs) there's a which is great which is a great bit of storytelling if people haven't seen it basically it follows a supporting character and there's a main plot going on but you don't see it kind of from the main plot perspective because the this character is kind of flip flipping around from place to place so the plot is there but you're not seeing it from the usual through line because you're seeing it from the perspective of this this character who's just sort of passing through and i i I like them mentioning buffy because i thought about buffy a lot this season because with buffy you can call out certain episodes and you can be like oh there's the one where everybody loses their voices and there's the one where the it there's no music uh and you know and and buffy's mom dies and you know they're like the there's the musical episode and all of that right and i feel like that is what like the center five episodes of this season are back to back starting with be the penny where penny has died and it's just his astral projection and he's trying to get a good disposition for his life while the story kind of unfolds around him uh, and he can't be seen. And uh, he re- he does run into somebody who is similarly trapped, who has been <laughs> basically a peeping Tom at Break Bill's Academy for 80 years or 100 years or something. Um, and, you know, by the end, the last shot is him finally being seen by somebody after going the entire episode trying to figure out how in the heck he can be witnessed by someone so that they can know that he's not dead or at least you know only mostly dead it's an amazing episode oh oh, hi penny (laughs) what i liked in that episode was the 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 guy that he finds that he hangs out with this guy's been sort of watching their lives like a tv he's a tv yeah he's a viewer of the magician's tv show and he talks about the the ships that he really likes and you know the the sort of the characters and it's very (laughs) very meta yes Yes. and i just love that um, I think just uh, before we sort of go further deep in, the one thing I liked back way back in episode one was the scene uh, in the forest with Margot and Elliot where they, they know that they are being observed. Oh, God, and so yeah. they have to have the conversation entirely in pop culture references. I didn't even mention it. That is a spectacular, not a, not a whole episode, but a, a spectacular scene where it's like, um, I'll make my own reference here. It's basically yes. like Darmok on Star yes, Trek yes generation if instead of the metaphors all being these uh alien metaphors that captain picard has to figure out it's like literally the entire conversation is done in pop culture references it's staggering how good it is and yeah, stunning I that i got it, it. I shocked yeah I, was say, I didn't think i knew that much about all these shows i was like no i think i know what they're saying <laughs> and I, I liked the um elliot hadn't read um uh game of thrones and had just sort of caught up with a wiki or something yeah that one went, that one went over my head too it's like 
like, oh dear, this is the time when I actually need to know about Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that that was a, a brilliant a brilliant moment. And then Penny, I mean, Penny in the books, Penny's a jerk. And in the show, Penny starts out kind of being a jerk. And then you realize that, you know, again, he there he has great depths to the point where I think Penny is is my wife's favorite character on the show. And I'm pretty close to that. Like, I think he's so fascinating that he's kind of, you know, he's 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 kind of off putting. And yet he kind of wants to be a part of the group, but he doesn't want to be a part of the group. He's a fascinating kind of kind of character. And the journey that he takes in this season, like this episode is amazing. It's great to spend that time with him he is an outsider and now he's really an outsider while the plot all kind of happens around him is pretty amazing and then um what we where he ends up is is even more bananas where the show does something that i mean we can talk about an hour later but the show because it's magic they make some decisions about bringing back about killing people and then bringing them back that I feel like mm-hmm. because it's magic, it, it's, it's playing fair. Like in the end, rather than keeping Penny around and finding a way to kind of bring back a body for him, he basically goes off to eternity in the library in the underworld at the end of one episode. And they meet a Penny from another time loop because in the background of the show is the idea that they've actually been repeating this block of time. And there are a bunch of loops that came before and they pull Penny and a couple other characters who died <laughs> out of that loop and they're like we're out of here and they come and now they're on the on in the show it's amazing it's actually and rereading the books i didn't realize it is in the books it's a very small bit at the end of book one where uh uh, Jane Chatwin mentioned something in passing and I thought, how brilliant. I mean, you know, you can invent new things, obviously, too, but how brilliant that they took that and they blossomed that into a really important part of how the show ran, especially, I think, first season. Um, but yeah, so this episode, this season, we got ghosts. We got a musical episode. We yep. got alternate universes. We have, uh, what else? We have elves, uh, or fairies, fairies rather. Yeah. Um, oh, we we have t- uh, time stretching stuff. So yeah. Uh, flying oh, yeah, ships right. and right. Um, they did uh, they did their Darmok episode they did their inner light episode <laughs> yeah. we, had God, we had gods yeah we had gods and devils right mm-hmm. um, we had a, an election campaign um, oh my god I forgot about the election yeah, wow the election a party we, have, we, yeah. had, we had an endless party that torments you uh, yeah with single, um, I, oh I, God, that, I, you geez, mentioned Buffy, good. and I was similarly having, you know, this is like uh, good quality Buffy level stuff happening yeah. here, uh, and we haven't really had that out of a series for a while that I can re- that I can think of. They had so much fun in this season. Is the thing I felt like both the, I mean, the writers were stretching their wings. They did. Um, I want to say even as it sounds silly, but they did great mise en scene. Like the, like the sets were actually really good. And mm, this mm-hmm. is a very, you know, they're producing this show on as little money as they can because it's a cable show and whatever. I mean, they're not, it's not cheap, but it's also, they can't do all the crazy CGI and whatever. So they, they did very well for most of the show in making scenes that felt much more convincing to me, but, but like, yeah, but I think like Buffy, they had an incredibly good time exploring stuff and it just shone through in a way. Um, that usually with this much plot, it's hard to, I mean, some of the episodes that were best, I think also were crammed full of plot. And those are usually the boring mythology episodes mm-hmm. in those series. And I think they made, uh, explicit references to Buffy. Like oh, yeah. they had some pop culture references yeah. to Buffy in the, the show. Gang. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. and there was like Hedwitch Buffy and uh, or whatever. And, uh, uh, Todd Todd Vanderwerf's story in, in Vox actually, this is a line that I really liked, which is at its best, the magicians feels like it might never run out of ideas. Oh and, wow! And that's oh, what this that is, that's what this season felt like. It's just like one after another. Like we've got this premise is so wide open that we can do anything, and we will. And they did. Yeah. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Quill Quick meals. Life can get a little hectic. Work, gym, cooking, parental duties, there's a whole lot to fit in. Sometimes you find yourself running out the door in a hurry and you have no time to eat anything nutritious to continue with your day. With the complete meals from Quail, you'll always have a tasty, nutritious meal ready to go. The people over at Quail have made a complete meal that fits perfectly in morning or lunchtime routines. It's a shake you make with water and within seconds you have a complete meal plus it provides you with essential carbs, fats, proteins, vitamins, and minerals. Now, we've been using quail around my house the last few weeks. Uh, my wife had to go to a dance class after leaving work, and she had about like five minutes in between those things. But the last thing she wants to do is spend two hours on her feet doing exercise, having not eaten anything since lunchtime. So what did she do? She brought a quail shake with her in the included uh, little water bottle you get. You add some water, you shake it up, and she was able to have that dinner. Uh, got her through, uh, let her do her uh, her dance routine, and uh, then come home and not be starving when she came home because she had already had a meal. I do this for lunch sometimes. There's nothing in the refrigerator, and I will just pop open a, let's say, vanilla or strawberry chocolate. There are a bunch of different flavors that you can get and move on with my day without having to take an hour to go to the store or go out to lunch or something like that, I can just move on. And so it's been super convenient. It's not something that I'm going to eat with every meal because that's not what it's for. It's for the meals that you need to skip, but you can't skip because you need to eat something or at least take in nourishment. It comes ready to drink. There's a shaker. There's a scoop. You can choose how large or small to make the meals because you can scale the amount of water you put in and the amount of the uh, of the powder that you put in. But you never have to go without a meal again, which is a bad idea. Just think you might sleep in a little longer knowing you have a meal ready in seconds. Great if you hate putting together breakfast in the morning. It's simple, quick, and convenient. Go to quill.com slash incomparable and use the offer code incomparable to get 15% off your first order. That's com slash incomparable. And use offer code INCOMPARABLE for 15% off. Thank you to Quail for supporting The Incomparable. This season had me crying a lot. Like, I mean, laughing really hard, which is, again, not always possible in TV shows, especially ones that are sort of semi-dramatic. Um, and then there were times when I was watching an episode and I'm just like reaching for the Kleenex. I'm like, oh my God, how much do they just make me care about this thing? Not that it's re- not even a ridiculous thing, like a... Uh, you know, I'll bring up the character that I liked least this season was the fairy queen. I thought, I thought the actress oh. was a little wooden. I didn't think she was written that well. And then the way they pulled the whole arc off and in certain episodes, I'm like, Oh, she got me. She totally oh, yeah. that one line, mm. that one thing. Now I see why they set this all up to deliver that punch to my heart. And it got me. Yes. I'm with you there. The, the, the whole like idea of the fairies and, and how they act is I like it because Whenever, you know, I've read plenty about different kinds of, of iterations of fairies and different fantasy books and shows and things like that. And this type of fairy is the type of fairy that I like the most. <laughs> this sort of uh, this it's very elvish in a way, sort of cold and distant and uh, a little bit uh, aloof. And the way that 
they despite everything like we we as humans kind of have this way of of coming to terms with decisions and maybe breaking some of the promises that we've made because it means uh better things for us in the end and we're we're more selfish in that sense and the way that like fairies are are meant to be truthful and also uh can kind of be very tricksy and have to hold to their yeah. bond and the 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 fallout that happens if they don't there's so much in that because humans can just break our bonds as much as we want to and the fallout is a much different thing for us and so i love i love that that type of fairy and i think that the the fairy queen and the way that we not only do we you know see her actions and that influences how we interact or, 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 you know, perceive her, but also the way that different characters based on the time that they've spent with this fairy sort of interact with her and how that informs. So we sort of get a, an impression of the queen through Julia and we get an impression of the queen through, uh, Margot and Elliot and, and, these different people and how that sort of informs our feelings about the fairy. It's, it's super powerful. And I like that the, the fairies were kind of set up as the big bad for this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, about sort of three quarters of the way through, we find out about this sort of magical cocaine that's, uh, <laughs> going around and what, what the true nature of that is. And suddenly it kind of all flips around and we're like, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe these people are not the big bad. And- yeah. Yeah. That moment where they are there because you find out that they're like trying to get land in Fillory so that they can have their their eggs hatch and they've been this is all part of her plan that she got them in a weak moment and she took away their child who actually didn't make it and they claimed someone else Fen was or not not Fen's the mom that, that there was the child uh, that, that who's frail. their daughter right but she's not that, that was a, that's a lie that's revealed all of the duplicity of the fairies in so many different ways they're totally the enemy and the fairy queen is a great uh, uh, I I liked her as a uh, this kind of otherworldly presence who is also uh, a, a worthy adversary, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of sk- like, oh, she's got the upper hand on them at all times. And then there's that moment where, where you realize, oh, on Earth, all the fairies are slaves and there's basically a genocide going on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you realize that you've been the reason the fairies are so hostile is because they've got good reasons. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's amazing turn that happens there. And there's this the scene with the fairy that's basically uh, tied down on the table, missing a leg. Yeah. Oh and you God. realize that they've been Holy grinding, God. grinding up the fairies to make this magical powder, which some of the humans are using on Earth to uh, still have magic. Yeah, to compensate for the loss of magic last season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a brilliant idea because I couldn't figure out why they need to add fairies. Like, I was like, this just seems like a plot device. It's not going anywhere. And then I'm like, oh, now we get into huge arcs of morality and is magic worth saving and without magic? And, and it does, I think, I mean, it's an important part of what goes into the final episode uh, also. Um, but boy, some key plot points along the way are critical because they're grinding up fairies. Um, and, and some of the most moving moments, that bit where Julia, uh, or not Julia, where Fan is watching the, uh, McMa- not McMasters, that's the, <laughs> it's, it's a Trump official, uh, whatever the family is, um, watching one of the, the, the uncle, uh, uh, you know, remove the collar and the head mm. pops off. It's like, mm. holy. And you just realize like what has been set up for the queen. And you're like, okay, well now we have this showdown that has to come, but that is a pretty, amazing moment jesus yeah I, and there's a certain the 
uh, at that episode, I think it was, when they, they finally get back control and there's just a massacre of all the people in the house. And you're kind of a bit cheering oh, on yeah. the fact that all these people are being oh, massacred. Oh, I was cheering for yeah. sure. <laughs> get them, get them. That's yeah, there's I- like a little red wedding sitting there. They're, they're all at yeah. this white table. They're eating their meal. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And then like knives start to appear and other implements and stab them and blood everywhere. It was a beautiful little uh, lighting setup too. Mm-hmm. That is a Game of Thrones reference I understand simply because so many people say Red Wedding and then someone says something about Game of Thrones. So I know it has to be from that show. <laughs> no, it's really, it's, it's, there's a very nice wedding and everybody wears red. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so everybody, you, you, and you br- they, yeah, good time. You bring books to it because everyone is well mm-hmm. read. That's right. And they had some, they had some meat that needed to be cut. So you got to bring some knives and stuff to cut the meat. But that's it. That's, that's all it, it is. The, the meat's done. The, the meat's rare. Uh, there's red wine. Uh, so there's a lot of red themes in it, but that's red, all. Red it's it's just a, a a meal everyone enjoys after a wedding. Yeah, a, a rabbit just popped up on my desk. <laughs> Did one of you send me a messenger rabbit here? <laughs> yeah, probably. Church is Lord. Um, <laughs> it just keeps saying, "Watch Game of Thrones." <laughs> that's that's it's uh, HBO Senate. Okay. I I really like the messenger rabbits. I don't know why, brilliant. but it's just. Every They're time hilarious. they appeared and would say something. Um, <laughs> Especially when it was vulgar. Eat my yes. ass. Um, the, it's like either that's a really kinky bunny or the fairy queen is sending us a mess. It's great, too, because this is, again, how do you get over the um, expense of doing fancy stuff, right? You use bunnies as messengers and, they, and it feels magical and you do a terrible dubbing job and it actually works really well as a mm-hmm. device in the show. It's great. And I liked um, in the alternate universe episode that we got, or alternate timeline episode, um, that Alice was working for the bunnies as a radish radish oh, smuggler Lord, yes. uh, for, for Captain Hops. And yeah, I, I, I love the bunnies. So the next episode uh, after Penny's uh, journey is episode five. This is Life in the Day, which is uh, an episode where uh, Quentin and, uh, and uh, Elliot... Basically have to find a key by going to this place and waiting, essentially... Well, they have to solve a tile puzzle, is what yeah. they think well, they're doing. The most beautiful thing, or yeah, and, and exactly right. And so they're there, they're there, and they live out their entire lives in I this place. This oh my god! And they I build, cried yeah. so and hard. they build a life, and they have a family, <laughs> and they live until they're very old. And Elliot dies. And Quentin digs his grave and he finds the tile because the whole idea is the beauty of all life and living your life. And that's the end goal of this quest is to live a life and and discover that 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 living life is the beautiful thing. The answer was life the whole time. All the time. They fully embraced it, too. They don't forget at the end. Like, they've lived yes. this whole life, and then they start to remember the fact that this has happened. So yeah. that it's not, like, erased because it's just some time loop thing that uh, goes away. And I think that was the best thing. And I does this anything more about the sun ever happen in the series because i can't remember that all the which all the different sunlight coming down no 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 there's the sun as in the sun they have i expect we're going to get a call back to that because they've they've kind of pinpointed it's like oh yeah they were you're talking about the grandchildren and then when quentin meets his father later they talk about his father's cancer that moment had me weeping too it's like 
What'd you name him? I named him for you. And I just, oh my God, yeah, well, you're I'm gonna crying, get me crying now, right now. now. If I ever need to simulate cries. <laughs> yep. But I'm like, they didn't bring up that point. That was a good emotional point, but they didn't bring it up just to walk it away. We know there's going to be, I mean, I have to believe because of how the show deals with time and place. Like that kid is now not an old man, but he would be like middle-aged in Fillory and, ha- and he would have children because there were grandchildren. So um, <clears throat> I think in the time frame, or the grandchildren would be grown in Fillory in the contemporary time. So I expect. Um, I, I wonder how this affects. So with children, this got me in a very particular place. And I wonder how people without children, this obviously affected you both deeply as well. But if it's in a different, like how how hard it hits you and in what spot in your heart. <laughs> I, I mean, I think for me as as somebody without kids, you know, the, the addition of the child was sort of a, a minor-ish role of it, but it was just the, the living out the life mm. and then having to basically bury your partner. I think that's what hit me. And the fact that, you know, there's been people um, shipping Quentin and Elliot for quite a while and, you know, this was the episode for them. No, no, that happened in, uh, Elliot was in bed with Quentin and, uh, Margo. In the books, he's only sleeping with Margo. Yeah, and yeah, in the okay. TV show, he, they have that one, but they're drunk and they treat it, they kind of laugh it off, but it's not serious. Yeah, like but that's like one, a one night stand yeah, versus right. an entire lifetime. So I think the, um, I mentioned the inner light earlier. This is obviously that episode, um, and one of the challenges that Star Trek had is that they wanted to show the fallout that Captain Picard had of living an entire life <laughs> in a, a yeah. few moments. And yet mm-hmm. it's an episodic TV. So how do they do that? And they, they, they call back to it a couple of times. And so it's there. But you don't see him like dealing with the fact that he just departed his life for a while. Or, you know, is it a hazily remembered thing? Or does it he's remembering something that happened to someone else? And, and this episode has the bravery and also comes from an era where you can do this of of making you think first that it's sort of a cheat and then they remember everything and they they you know they live with it that that it was a part of them and it had a huge effect on them emotionally to have lived that life together and i i really loved that that it doesn't shy away from uh having ramifications of this it it, you know it actually impacted these characters it was not just sort of a one-off story for us and the characters kind of just hit reset. That doesn't happen. It reminds me of Bill and Ted a little bit of like the, you're checking out of your regular life. You go off and you learn to play music really well. In this case, you go off and live a full life and learn how to be incredibly complicated and great human beings. And then you come back to your regular life where you left off, sort of. I mean, that's not exactly how it played out in the episode, but it had that effect because of the memory. Yeah, I think it softened uh, Quentin to a certain extent and, and Elliot. Um, and certainly I think strengthened the relationship between those two when they were back in the, in quotes, real world. Yeah, especially because, you know, that, that little drunken thing had happened before and you, something like that, I think, despite the fact that, you know, you can laugh it off, that's still something that, that exists in one's timeline and can sit there and sort of kind of, question your place with somebody else and when with, with Elliot spending so much time with Margot obviously like you you do I think wonder how you fit into someone's life and so I liked this this existence that they lived together as a sort of uh a chance for them to just exist with one another and see how that that 
sort of relationship where it could take them. And to have that, to be able to live like that's so what a blessing that is to be able to live in existence and then go on living at a younger age, but have all of that tucked into your, your memory now and know what that means. And I think that it definitely strengthens the bond between the two of them. And they both, again, know where they stand with each other. It's uh, a, quite a blessing. This reminds me of two things. One is the, um, the sort of gender and orientation fluidity and comfort and celebration in this entire show, which is, I think it's not unheard of, but they, it's not just like, Oh, let's have a scene between two men or two women or something happens. It's the, it's actually, I feel celebrated in the same way that love between opposite sex people are celebrated in most series, uh, and most, most media. And that was interesting. Um, you know, it's not like, Hey, here's something just so we seem cool. Or that's how it felt to me. And I'm curious about mm-hmm. the reaction to that. The other is the arc for this season. I meant to say this at the outset. I've had this idea since midway through is, and they don't state it. They don't do anything explicit is that it's, um, it's parents and children. It's always parents and children. It's the fairy queen. Then you find out she had, there are no children. She comes to earth and they're all the children. There's Quentin having a child. There's Quentin, his relationship with his father. There's Alice and her father and mother, um, you know, on and on and mm-hmm. on and on. And I feel like they use that to help us. You know, not every character we don't, you know, or, or Elliot's father appears in that truth key thing in the, in the Netherlands. Um, but I feel like that is an underlying theme that I don't know if it was, I don't want to say it wasn't intentional, but I think it strengthens the emotional core of this whole season. Agreed. The next episode is not one of those uh, super, uh, very special episodes, but it, it has a lot of stuff on the, the Munchak, the magical ship, which I wanted to mention because that was a major uh, location this season. And it's great. So cool. We find out that the Munchak is sentient and it, it's got opinions, which actually save them at a couple of different points. And then they, they sail it around later. Um, in that, that episode, episode six, I want to say, they get um, Felicia Day appears, who is um, a, a a lost former break bill student who um, really is focused on what she wants and not, doesn't really care about yes. anything else. And um, I actually liked that character. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, she, she pawns off a key, a cursed key basically onto Quentin who then is berated by a version of himself. So that's what this episode is. But um, I, you know, and, and, and it's good, but I really like the, um, I really like the ship and all the all the reasons we get we get to the ship at various points and it ends up being, you know, it saves them and then it's flying around at the end of the season and can take them where they need to go. Um, uh, just uh, again and again, a show like this can do that where it's like, yeah, we've got a magic ship. That's a thing we have now. We're going to set we're going to have rabbits and a magic ship. And the the. the- sort of conversation between Margot and the ship um and oh, yeah they're like the it takes it to a new level of sentience in a way and the the relationship that they have with it it'd be, it would be just so cool to have a flying ship uh and i love that uh, one of the things that i wanted to talk about in this episode that i think is um pretty funny is the way that Margot and elliot handle the fact that the murdering younger brother of what is it the stone queen um how they handle consummation um they they are they end up knocking the guy out like they okay so let right me cut back a little bit <laughs> Margot ends up sort of being forced into a relationship for the sake of building out the the empire and in order to of course make a relationship real then they have to consummate it but this kid is like a, a full-on kid and 
Margot does not want to do that. So they take, they, you know, knock about, take him to a forest and get away from being stuck in the castle. And Margot decides to take a toad that has these long fangs and stick it on the prince's, um, member. And then they huh. convince him that he has had sex. And I, I don't know, just sort of the plotting there between Elliot and Margot and the way that those two work together to do the things that they need to do is really funny. And um, I think that they, they handled that quite well. <laughs> I, I'd also add to that that uh, Margot's outfits grew increasingly oh, fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the fact that when she's lost her eye, she has all these very jeweled eye patches. And yeah, I, I just... Love all the costuming um, for the characters in Fillory, but especially the stuff she's wearing. Yeah, it's a good point that in the very last episode, when she is actually becomes king of Phil- High King, she is wearing something very simple. It's incredibly beautiful and striking on her, but it's also like the simplest outfit you've seen in the entire season. I was like, that is a choice, and it is a good one because she knows she has the actual power now. She doesn't have to project, project power. Um, we, we should also talk about, cause it comes up in this episode is, you know, uh, you know, so, uh, the, those of you who are a hundred percent Margot or, or highly behind Margot, Julia is my character this season who mm. I just, you know, I bonded with completely and, uh, for whatever reason and just her journey of obtaining power she didn't want, being told she has to foster it, trying to get rid of it, giving it to Alice who it almost kills. And then, um, you know, giving it up again at the end, which I have all kinds of issues with, but I, I thought, her journey to godhood was um was a fascinating one and portrayed really well that it was the only way you will retrieve more powers you know this is like you have to, this is kindling and you have to blow empathy on it and if you don't mm. do that then you become someone like um Re- you know uh, like Renard. Renald. yeah Renard. and uh and if you do then you can achieve this ridiculous level of power and um it, it and i i love how they didn't just kind of run through that they took the entire season and fits and starts mm. and rejecting it and um the wonderful appearance of uh, our lady of the underground showing up in that bar that scene give me chills and anyway you know people eyes rolling back and saying julia save her you're like jesus christ what's yes. going on in the middle of this other thing we got this whole thing hmm. going on and that but in this episode in particular uh her transferring power to uh to alice who has been dying to get you know, and again, differs from the book. Alice has been dying to get back, either get back or totally reject the power she had as a Niffin, where in the the books, it's kind of like, you know, it was a relief when she was brought back to human form. Yeah, Julia's, Julia doesn't have like an episode about her, but her the whole season yeah. is about her journey yes. where she is, she is, um, doesn't realize that she hasn't just gotten sort of justice from Reynard, um, but she, she's gotten his power and has to cope with the, like becoming a much more powerful creature. Cause you know, last time we see her in season two, she's just got a little spark of magic when nobody else does. And then in, in season three, she has to take that, that journey to at the end, basically being elevated to godhood. And then we can talk, we'll talk about the, the finale in a minute. It, but um it is it is a great journey and she's a she's a really good character i would also say julia is one of those examples where i think the book the books were great raw material and then yeah. but the tv show has done better by that character by inter- integrating her from the start which in you know she basically doesn't do anything in book one it's all told in book two in the books and uh because they they made her a parallel with quentin from the beginning um that makes her a much more prominent character when we get to this point which oh. is good 
Yeah, and they call that back in the uh, alternate uh, timeline one where they're like, what do you mean you weren't at break bills? You're like, you made break bills. You were the smartest student. You're like, well, that's kind of the... Yeah, in that, <laughs> in that other timeline, it turns out that Julia is the star of break bills and, and saved everybody who survived, basically, and sacrificed herself and was the great hero that everybody loved, which is... Uh, right. and, and she's confronted with these people who look at her like she's this amazing person. And she... You can see her low self-esteem in every scene that she has with them where she doesn't believe she's worthy of any of this including this godlike power she's gotten Mm -hmm. um whereas Mm -hmm. they adore her because she's julia um and you just see that 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 is the journey that this julia has walked oh and jason there was a literal checkoff's gun remember in our recap from last season and i was like the gun when julia had the gun with the god pilling bullet what happened to it it's not in her hand at the end of the scene and we talk about that and then what happens the checkoffs it's literally checkoffs gun is yep. that plot device yep. it comes back it and we're like, okay i'm glad we were paying attention if i have ever given the impression that any other character matters to me as much as julia does then that is the wrong impression <laughs> julia oh, okay good. from season one like i I so I'm I've sort of felt like we were saving the best for last at least in my head because I just Julia is incredible and I mean that again from season 1 on I think her her journey and there are so many characters that, you know, live life out loud in the show and, and are, are these powerful beings and who sort of hurl magic and do these things. And she spends so much of her time being, yeah, this reluctant person who feels like she's done a lot of things that she didn't, uh, mean to do or made wrong decisions or has had something as awful as has happened to her and her reaction to that. And, there's so much power in her stillness and in her quietness and in the way that she sort of just in in many ways kind of uh, floats along and uh, as she's trying to deal with things and for her to come forth and like take this as you said to blow i love that blow empathy onto this thing and make it this powerful uh internal fuel is incredible and julia um her kind of struggling between being a member of this team and hanging out with her friends and helping her friends and also now taking on these roles as a god there's so much so it's so good it's so good that that internal struggle and it's like i want I want them to make Julia Almighty the, the movie, but it's like it's not a comedy at all. It's just all about her, like being a god and and how she handles all of those things. Because there are points whenever she hears like the whispers, and I thought of the scene, and I think it's Bruce Almighty where he's trying to type out, or he like starts by writing out all the prayers, and then eventually gets to typing them all out, and her sort of having to struggle through all of that and uh, being just uh, i i don't know i i could go on julia's fantastic what that scene reminded me of was more like a sort of superman listening out for all the cries of, mm. of people in trouble um and her similarly godlike in her powers at that point well, i um, think when she restores dean uh, fogg's vision that's a very beautiful and complex little scene and you know really just small and well played and then it makes his betrayal i mean so many people betray so, so many people betray each other in this and a lot of them i mean this is the other theme right is alice is betraying but then the betrayals become clear we see the consequences of betrayal it isn't just like a little plot point people die uh, things are overturned everything goes bad i mean it's not the it's not minor and that's another 
the way in which in the middle of this completely supernatural and invented world, it feels very real that, um, that happens and goes down. We have some uh, other things that uh, that I want to mention before we get to the end, which is so. So there's the uh, episode eight is uh, six short stories about <laughs> magic, which is another clever episode where they tell little blobs that are out of sequence or in parallel with one another. So you end Beautiful. up um, kind of getting the story in an in an interesting fashion. It's not it's not an uncommon storytelling technique, but I think really well done. Where there's the assault on the library and you see different characters pass through different scenes and then you go back and you watch what they did uh that's a that's a really uh fun interesting episode i thought the cinematography in that was particularly good like the mm-hmm. even just the bits where they were doing the bridge where they were going across um between the mirrors and stuff you know and it's just a black room with some white lights on the floor but it it kind of just the things that they were doing in the episode, they, they seem to be experimenting with the cinematography in that one. This is another, it's another Chekhov's gun element. When they had Marley Matlin, when they brought her in in season two, she was a great MacGuffin, right? She was kind of like, we didn't know who she was. She clearly had a magical connection, probably with break bills. And she recurs and I'm like, well, this is great. She's a great actress. There's nothing to do with the deafness here, but we know that, um, that, uh, I'm blanking on her name for a second. The, uh, Katie character, Katie, Katie, right? She, she, uh, no sign language and can read lips and so forth. So I go, oh, that's, you know, there's that interaction. So we know that, but, but you know, like this is, it, it's just like, well, Marley Matlin is a great actress and they're not making a deal about her deafness. It's just something they've integrated. So how great. And then to have this payoff yes. of that incredible, holy cow. That's I'm a whole segment Jesus. of that episode, which is her story. And what you don't realize is that she's the daughter of the head librarian. I mean, that's like a mm-hmm. two hour movie they did in like five minutes or something mm-hmm. and the emotional re- and I never I'll tell you the one character I didn't like and it's partly the actress I think or choices she was given I did, did not like the way that actress does that role I just think it it feels out of character and too like farcy in the middle of it and then you see this kind of like oh this is why she's always got this and then later in the show later in the season she's completely dead right and you're like oh this is they needed this payoff so that she could portray the role so i still don't love the approach but we now it now has more of an arc for her character about why um how she behaves the way she does well in the library which as a as a we still don't know uh, an awful lot about but there's this idea that the library is this poorly understood thing that it just is and when we encounter it early on it's like all right well they've got rules and they're kind of you know they're kind of jerks because they want you to work for them for eternity and all of these things and in season three toward the latter parts you realize oh no the library is um is an adversary like the library's puts its interests above everyone else and they are um, they are basically the opposition in terms of what's going on. Well, we never talked about this, but the interstitials before they cut to the library, it's almost always showing some weird planetary thing. Like they're in space. Yeah, the, li- the main part of the being- library is like a chunk of a planet that's shattered <laughs> and it's near very a black strange. hole or something. And it's, yeah. Sometimes you see donut planets and it's, uh, hmm. yep. Mm, donut planets. Mm. Uh, episode nine is all that, Josh. This is the um, oh musical episode. They are trapped in a party that that must continue, or uh, bad things happen and people become like mean zombie like people. And there's a lot of singing. It ends with under pressure, which uh, unites the oh whole group God. and resolves a lot, a lot of things, including the ship going toward the infinite waterfall. Um, good good stuff with uh, with Katie. Katie does a lot of singing in this one. Uh, Katie, a yeah. character who gets she does a full burlesque number pretty much she Great. does she does um and and we also get i have to say josh who is an important character it turns out and not just a joke and although he is also a 
a comedy character it turns out he is more than that and they need to kind of like get him to snap out of his endless party and uh and be a part of their uh their quest and then josh is around the rest of the season too i I like the fact this is one of these things about small gestures or small moments speaking oceans is at the end of that whole thing when julia comes in where she's had her experience with the key and the our lady of the underground and she says hey josh why don't you call me back and then she puts her hand on his arm in this like incredibly friendly familiar way that just explains the relationship between the two of them. So we've seen an entire episode in which everybody else is sort of working out their feelings about Josh and how they feel bad about leaving bad and whatever. And she's like, Hey Josh, yeah, how you doing? No, she's the only one. <laughs> I think he says back? at one point, like Julie is the only one who even knows who I am or something like that. And, and then you see that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah, I thought their their under pressure was particularly <laughs> good. Just the way it cut from all the different people and they gave people sort of lines that they could do i think there was quite a, a degree of different singing ability right absolutely and, uh, yes. uh, elliot really got stuck in on the song and i was just like wow okay this is this is um i i wanted kind of more more musical um you know i wanted the whole full buffy uh musical episode style but it was nice to just get that 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 one sort of really standout song between them all yeah i was hoping for more too because those <laughs> that kind of thing anytime it's ever come up in a show i'm always the one that's just like munching on the popcorn screaming for more because <laughs> i i think it's it's just so delightful and they gave me goosebumps even with the part that it was there uh or maybe i should say rabbit bumps it's more on on <laughs> theme um and i yeah i thought that uh, so much fun and the way that it is sort of a, a a metaphor for them all coming together and and making uh you know playing their part in what needed to happen uh was was really nice. But, and there's that great bit where, um, I mean, this is a bunch of plot points coming together, right? Everyone's dying or whatever. And then the bit where Julia says, hey, guys, uh, someone almost died. And I think I've just froze time. So I'm, I just need a minute here. <laughs> 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 this is the wonderful matter of factness of it that, that I loved. It's obviously so hard to do a whole musical episode that they they what they did was they had the one musical number and then they have the other little bits with the songs and the and the and the dancing and and, and the burlesque and all of those other things going on there. Uh, but it is I, I love that episode. It is the um, I love the idea too that this is the this is the physical kid's house. This is the party house, and now it is the <laughs> he's trapped in the in the eternal oh, party, God. and they basically need to get him out. And uh, it's a uh, really uh, it's really fun, and it's just he becomes the uh, Spuds McKenzie who can. Never- Start partying. And, 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 a, and it's such a rousing finale, right? Where they're, where they're singing, and it also resolves the other plot that's going on where they're on the ship and they're being threatened, and everybody comes together. And uh, I love it. It's great. Great episode. Um, the next episode is the parallel universe, universe slash timeline episode where they go to uh, timeline 23, the 23rd loop, and they, they meet. Uh, another penny, and this is the one that we already mentioned, uh, where, where Julia is, ha- has died, but was beloved and was like the most powerful and amazing person at Break Bills. There's, uh, there's a Marina here who, uh, died horribly last season at the hands of Reynard, but guess what? The, this Marina is at Break Bills and is alive. And so they bring her back at the end of this episode. And, um, uh, I I really enjoyed this episode too, where it's the you know path not taken. This is like there's the beast, but the beast turns out to be a parallel Quentin who's taken the power mm, of the beast, mm-hmm. and so you get to call back to the beast, the super scary monster from the first season. You get to see that again because here the beast is roaming along and killing people 
except and has destroyed uh, you know break bills but it turns out that it's quentin uh, i just again um another another great episode where it's like that's the episode where they go to the parallel timeline you can you could write it down like this is what that episode was and it's great uh, and like i said before um i really enjoy the fact that this is how they choose to bring back dead characters is they basically pluck a different version of them who's not the same person right like the new penny penny 23 is not our penny he is a different penny who's had different experiences and they play fair with that which i also really like i, I liked also just the two joshes interacting with each other oh yeah and, uh, jo- josh 23 with his fancy jacket and stuff which gets <laughs> hand, handed over at the end like near the end and i thought that was going to be a whole you know there's going to be some well let's pretend that this person is yeah they did uh, a switch or something like that and, yeah something but he's like actually that. sacrificing himself and saying don't you know i'm gonna die but you should you could take my jacket <laughs> it's possibly watching too much counterpart but, uh, <laughs> it, could be. it was making me feel about all this i also like the way that you def- the way julia defeats the beast is with empathy she sends her i, mean, I was mm-hmm. not expecting that i thought it was going to be some complicated thing and which would be fine but the fact that um i mean you know a we now know alice's soul goes to some creature in the northern reaches probably that giant turtle in the book that's pretty horrible um so she has to do that forever serve some horrible creature in the afterlife and then this is pretty bad but then b like julia's like well you know i'm gonna transfer my shade to you temporarily because i know i can live without it i did it before and you're like oh my god what a like literally kills him with kindness yep the the thing that I wondered was, uh, just skipping back a few episodes, we had the Cassandra, who looked very much like Alice in the library, who was writing down everybody's stories and stuff. Right. And I was wondering if that was Alice 23 rather than Alice 40. That confused me, I'll be honest. Yeah. I, like, I, I, you know, got the point that this is some version of alice but i was very confused uh by that moment like uh okay so so when is this going to come up again are we going to well, see said, i'm not alice part? she said too so yeah right and so but was she lying or there is i mean this leads into the the way the season ends too which is i don't know whether they're doing things that they expect me to understand and i don't or whether they're doing things that they expect to deal with later and so they don't expect me for for me yes. to understand it now but alice mm-hmm. in general like there's the Alice who isn't Alice who is writing down what's happening to them and knows what's gonna gonna happen and nobody listens to her and there are several examples because there's also the, the the thing that's foretold about what happens when they go and uh, at the end of the quest to the place and they open the door and they and bring back magic but they're also releasing a horrible monster which of course is very clearly what's going to happen and does happen at the end of the season <laughs> um, but uh, Alice is at the at the center I think of my complaints about the last episode because I I, as much as I love the season, I didn't love the last episode I, I, because I feel like they, to to sum it up, I feel like what you should do is you should like sort of resolve your story and then start spinning off another story. Whereas what the magicians decided to do was not resolve the story and then yeah. just set up the next season, which I felt was like not yeah. really playing fair with the audience. But at the core of it is this story about Alice working for the library. And I just was like, where did that come from? We, we saw her at the library in the six sto- short stories uh, uh, episode, but I never thought it was set up. I don't really understand her motivations. I, I was mystified by it. And again, maybe they explain it later, but like, it's not a good place to put your audience where all of a sudden your entire season plot point revolves around something that doesn't make sense. 
Uh, but so that was that was part of my frustration is like, what's the deal with Alice? Like now, you know, now she's working for the library and I didn't understand it. So maybe it's in there and I, I didn't notice it. But it was just it was baffling to me what was going on. I think the idea was that, you know, she had been the this Niffin and had had access to, you know, all the world's knowledge or whatever. And now she was trying to get back to that somehow. And she had the she, well, she was trying to do the deal to get Julia's magic. And she was some thing like she's trying to come up with a grand unified theory of magic or something well, but then it goes the other way where by the end of the show or the end of the season she's come to the point where she claims she has i don't feel that evolution was done well enough i think that's why it's confusing that she's like in fact magic is too powerful for everyone it's like has it made any of us happy have we done anything good to it look at the beast look at how it's destroyed people you know her parents it's just um there's no she's decided magic is maybe no good as an unexpressed force and so she's allied herself with the library which is going to control access to it right and, um but i don't know that we saw her journey to get to that point where she felt like that's what was a reasonable course of action maybe that's why it's frustrating her, her thread was her thread wasn't well explored in the last episode i feel like she's acting very much against character uh, a bunch of times too so that, that makes it worse she's probably my least favorite character at this point Same. Um, yeah the actress was really i thought she was really given a very bad characterization in the first season in the second she was she was allowed to express more emotion and so now in the third i think she's more fully realized and i think the actress has been able to open up as a result but i think there's a combination of factors there so she just doesn't um yeah i, I agree with you i don't i i want to it's not clear why twenton never loved her and it's not clear what she has within her but she's supposed to be very powerful and we don't usually see a great expression of that yeah, I mean, Quentin should clearly either be with Elliot, Julia, or pretty much anybody else other than Alice, yeah. really. Or by himself. Or by himself. <laughs> or by himself. In a corner. <laughs> Although, then again, I don't know, Micah, sending Quentin off with with uh, with characters you don't like, like to, to go be somewhere else, might not be bad. Like, pair them together, send them away. That's a good point. Yeah. You do have a point there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you all go here, and we'll just hang out with these characters. Yeah, we yeah we'll just avoid that. I, I don't know. I mean, I liked a lot in the last episode, but there was that feeling like, because, like, okay, here's the culmination of this quest that we've been on the whole season. Again, I don't need it to be, yay, we win, the end, happy, maybe we'll be back next season. I, I get, like, it's the magicians, they're going to they're gonna twist it, but, like, when they get to the the um, monster at the end of the book, basically, when they get to that castle on the underside of Fillory, and yeah. they we know that what's foretold is that they're going to release this monster, but they have a plan and all of that, I just couldn't help feeling like... At some point, the episode shifts gears to be more about setting up where they want that character to yeah. go for the season for the for the last scene of season three and for the season four story arc and less about our characters solving this problem in some way that it became more about like where can we leave them for next season instead of how can we stick the landing for season three and i don't know how to say it kind of more than more than that but but like for me there was just something missing where i didn't get fulfillment at any point for season three and just saying hey we took you through this really great season but we refuse to give you an ending of any kind a fulfillment of any kind for everything you've just seen instead stay tuned for season four i felt like they went too far the other direction they went they they, they needed to give me a little bit more to get me excited for season four instead of feeling like well wait am i going to take another journey with them that's a pleasant journey but i get to the end and end up dissatisfied because that ultimately yeah that last episode i, 
walked away kind of more disappointed, which is magnified by how great the season was. I can tell you this. What it felt like to me was at the Harry Potter book seven when they introduced the Deathly Hollows, And I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake, we already have seven Horcruxes. Are we going to have to do three Deathly Hollows? The Hollows also, it just seemed like a, a lot of additional previously undisclosed character behavior, motivation, plot points and factors were introduced very rapidly. I mean, the episode started very strong, I thought, and had some really moving moments. And then it's like, okay, we got to cram all this in to put all the it would just, I mean, I think what you're saying too, I agree with that. It's the mechanisms were crammed in to make everything work. And it felt very awkward compared to all of the more elegance of the, re- the rest of the season. I mean, there was stuff in that episode I really liked. I mean, mm-hmm. like the the animated intro that they did at the beginning of it um, was really nice, and and the the shot of the the ship flying to the underside of Fillory, I mm-hmm. thought that was you know punching above their budget uh, yes. for that. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the betrayal by, uh, the Dean and, uh, yeah, I, I, so I don't think that they earned that at no. all because, right, right. you know, he'd, he'd had his sight restored and, you know, he'd obviously been through a bad time without magic. And then, yeah, it, that just seemed to come out of nowhere. Yeah, when characters start to behave in ways that you don't understand just because you feel like the plot requires it, it's a letdown. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning, like I put a lot of I put a lot of trust into this show to be something that is certainly going to entertain me, but also be uh, something that I can hand my emotions over to in a way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And up to this point, like that's always worked. But I agree there was so much that happened in that last episode that ran contrary to what I mm-hmm. I don't know what 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 made sense and it did feel like there were a lot of things done there that were were the sort of cliffhanger books that get you to buy the next one as quickly as possible but yeah if I know that at the end I'm just going to come out exhausted and never satisfied uh for another season that's kind of crummy and as uh I- I'm curious to hear more about what Glenn has to say about the most frustrating moment for me in all of time I- when Julia decides that she's going to make the keys with oh, her Jesus power. Christ. I know. Son of a bad word. Well, I know. I'm like, they melt the keys. We go the whole season and they melt the keys. This reminds me, actually, it could have been done better uh, at the end of uh, one of the Marvel movies. Uh, I don't want to spoil that for anybody. Can I do a Civil War spoiler? There's a bit sure. at the end of the Civil of Civil War where there's something totally unexpected. I was actually thinking about it this morning in terms of the... the uh, Infinity War, um, where I was actually shocked and amazed that they made the choice. And I thought, this is really interesting because the whole thing has been set up and then they completely subvert it because somebody is pulling the strings a different way, right? And I had that feeling, watch this, like, oh my God, they spent all this effort the entire season getting the keys and now the keys are melted and what are they going to do? And I, you know, I get tired of the whole, I said this in our Slack team too, I get tired of the whole new ball game thing. There are so many shows that are like, well, it's a whole new ball game. You, you know, it's the end of the season and Everything has been led up to it. You know, Heroes Season 1 ended that way. We can list any number of shows. But if you look at uh, The Good Place, The Good Place has done that twice now Mm -hmm. uh, and has done it really well. No, they pulled it off. You're right. Well, so far, we don't know what season uh, three will be like. Yeah, that's true. season two ends with their, them turning off magic. And you're like, oh, well, well, how will you even do a show? And the answer is, well, they did yeah. a really great season after that. No, you're told. Although, I, you know, it's funny. I gave them that because of the books, because magic gets turned off in the books. I'm like, well, at least they have 
a plot to follow. But yeah, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't feel true to me that the melting of the keys and then Julia losing all her power, creating it, the whole Prometheus plot that got installed in, stuck in there, Dean Fogg's behavior. I didn't think Alice wanting a memory erasure, you know, she wants a memory charm spell suddenly. Well, I have it here in a bottle. I, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times. The, one of the challenges with doing, I think it's related to like doing a prequel is, is there's a, um, when you're plotting, there is you see this a lot when when shows sag in the middle and you see this a lot on Netflix shows, but it happens with a lot of shows where there's a story arc and there's this feeling of sag in the middle. And I think what happens is they come up with a really great idea for a, a an arc and they start telling the story from the beginning because they know how the beginning goes. And then what happens is you have to work back. You know what your ending is and you have to work back from your ending. And the thing when those things connect, that's the sag. And you sometimes it's a furniture moving episode where all of a sudden you've got an episode where you're like, why? is nothing happening except oh like these God. disconnected scenes that push things in the various locations because and the answer That's is brilliant. as a, as a, a, a re, not just a TV viewer but like as a person who consumes narratives fiction um, you have that moment where you're like oh we've suddenly switched from the kind of organic forward mo- motion of the story to moving things around so that we can reverse engineer where we want the season to end or the book to end and that was what happened with the magicians it's like I felt like they were telling an amazing story and i if i had to like describe what happened my guess is the story the ending they wanted is not where their story was taking yeah. them yeah I and agree. rather than like if you're a novelist you can go with that but you know they had the ending that they wanted and they had already made a bunch of episodes and were deep in the production process so you know you end up moving around the furniture and getting the ending you want and and the ending of of season three of the magicians i just don't think it's supported by the rest of season three of the magicians it's an interesting place to tell season four but that's what Mm. that's for me that's why there's a disconnect there and why i'm kind of disappointed in them it's also because like you know even you start out and you know what the ending of the season is going to be but you don't have to do it you know if if the season has taken you in a different place you it's like not that they filmed the last episode you know second and then they had to fit everything to match in between so you know i i don't think they have an out in the sense of that they knew where they were trying to go and they just like didn't stick the landing no excuse no well it's not an excuse it's more like the stubbornness of it of like well we all we are working on season and this is this is my frustration is is i know you're gonna do season four and i know you want to have a great storyline for season four Mm -hmm. but that does not absolve you from telling your story to (laughs) in season three like that's not an excuse you need to wrap up you need to finish what you started and i and they, di- they didn't <laughs> finish they, your they, plate they're, they're just like on to the dessert like on to the next course whatever it is they did so many things that were out of character in a row i also thought the castle looked really cheap and it was sort of a cheap the interior oh, the inside really yeah. felt it just felt like a whole like kind of a crummy old sci-fi show and then you know i also do not like the asshole librarian guy who the ass- asshole aussie oh, librarian my, guy yeah i do not like him as a character i think he was introduced to provide more uh, hard edged and the main librarian, head librarian could. Yeah. But so you get, you get Julia acting its character, Alice acting its character, their memories erased, the Dean acting its yeah, character. I didn't even mention the, the uh, Elliot pulls out the, the memory, gun memory erase thing, uh, memory erasure. Yeah. People uh. aren't, don't know who they are is not one of my favorite plots anyway. And that's the setup for season four. Oh boy. Here's why, here's why Quentin gets the reward for this season though is, Quentin X true to type. He's like, well, somebody needs to be there forever. It's going to be me. 
I'm going to do that. I made the deal. The warrior, the uh, knight gets to leave and I will just stay here forever. And everyone's like, no, you can't do that. He's like, that's what I have to do. And you're, and you know, there's like that Star Trek episode with the two uh, sides across universes and they have to fight eternally at the door between the universes. Yeah. There's a lot of sci-fi and fantasy where someone's like, well, I'm just going to go off forever and fight. And you're like, forever? Like, yep, that's forever. just what it's going to be. That's a sacrifice. And he, ta- he takes that choice. So he's the only one, I think, who acts true to character um, and everybody else. So I, I haven't watched this episode again. It actually leaves me kind of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. And what I'm hoping – and the very end, too, the fact that they make Katie into basically a street prostitute, I thought, uh, I mean, given her family history, she's talked about her mother and her life and so forth. It might be true to her character, but it felt so cheap to make um, you know Penny a DJ and, and her a prostitute. I was like a uh, sex worker. I'm like, maybe you could have made different choices there because it feels really cheap to end like that. Given how strong the season has been – I completely give them the benefit of the doubt for next season. I didn't yeah, sure. like the ending, but it's not like I, it, I'm i going to not watch it. And I'm glad that they've been renewed for a fourth season, yeah. which I think was announced recently. And yeah, I want to see where it goes. And I do kind of hope that they undo the the memory loss thing Quickly. in the first episode, because I don't want a whole season oh, of God, no. um, these people acting uh trapped in whatever new lives that they've got but yeah yeah Um, god please no (laughs) so hopefully that's a that's an early an early fix and we get back to um the the quality that we've had for the rest of the season that's way too much uh what's that called uh audience irony i can't think of the actual term for it (laughs) where we know so much about it oh yeah the 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 characters i don't know why i can't think of the term but like that's to do a whole season that way that i would know Mm -mm, omniscient observer a yeah. mission observer, something like that. Yeah, let's, I, let's not do that, please. No, let's not. <laughs> I agree, but I will. Yeah, I, I I will take the next journey with them because this journey was so great. I just am frustrated that they that they prioritized. It felt to me the next journey or how they wanted the resolution to happen over the you know over where they had built the story and it's just it's it happens it happens hey look 12 12 and a half good to really amazing episodes I agree. is an incredible achievement so i will yeah. i'll give them the mulligan on the half and i will also trust them i'm going to be eager to see it because they have all that expanse now not sorry it's a different side <laughs> totally they show. have all that room now <laughs> to, to explore what they set up and i, I think they'll do it well given how well they sure sure i'm looking forward to next season they set the bar high but yeah i mean what i said to my wife when we finished that episode was well they didn't stick the landing i mean and that's how it feels it's like it was <laughs> a great go. it was yeah. a great season they did a great job and they, they kind of blew the landing but it was such a great ride that um, that doesn't turn me off from season four it's just it's I, I wish i wish i could point to season three and say oh it's perfect and it ends perfectly and it's like well it's perfect and then it ends kind of in a rush and doesn't make a lot of sense but it's still a great a great ride to yeah. take I mean that's that's kind of Star Trek Discovery as well. You yeah, know, it's true. we've had these shows. It's true. Um it's true. They didn't stick the landing either. No. Uh, uh, grumble. Hard. Grumble. All right. Well, grumble, uh, grumble. the if you're still listening and haven't watched The Magicians, go watch The Magicians. It's 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 good and it gets yeah, it keeps great. getting better. Get get on board with The Magicians before get season 4 comes. Get on board with those magic people. If you've been listening this far and you haven't watched Magicians, we're going to send you a potion in the mail. Take it and you can <laughs> oh, watch boy. it and then listen to it. Uh, okay, Glenn is going to send yeah, you a potion jo- in the mail. Yeah, Josh has got some potions that, that he's providing for that. <laughs> I'll send you a genuine placebo yeah. in the mail. All right. Well, I would like to thank my guests for joining me to talk about this show, which is just continues to be a lot of fun and uh, keeps getting better. Glenn Fleischman, thank you. I know I can count on you for all Magicians-related conversation. Magic. It was great. Thank you for having me on. It's just It was a pleasure to talk about like one of my favorite pieces 
pieces of television in years. Yeah. James Thompson, I will send a rabbit the next time I need you on a podcast, which will probably be very soon. <laughs> well, I just hope it's not a rude rabbit. It probably will be. And Micah Sargent, thank you so much for being on and talking about magic. Magic, magic, magic. Thank you for having me. And I hope that we soon see rabbits and peacock. Oh, interesting. <laughs> don't don't tempt me. Rabbits, rabbits multiply, Rabbits do though, love right? carrots, not bananas. Anyway, uh, thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. 